Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. How many of you have already, show of hands, you have already completed all of your Christmas shopping? Like two of you. Okay, okay. Right, so you have no plans, no plans to buy any more things. Done. Okay. Truth and or honesty time. How many of you intend to buy things for Christmas and haven't started yet? Most of the room. Most of the room. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, you, you only have, what is it, like 21 more days, like three more weeks. Um, one of the things I've noticed around this season, and probably you've noticed it too, is how centered sort of the Christmas season is on commerce and retail, right? It's fairly centered on that. Like, everybody's trying to get you to buy things, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, Thanksgiving for us would, you know, you, you eat way too much on Thanksgiving Day, and then football's playing in the background. And, and then at, in the evening, you break out the leftovers, right? Because you need more food um, four and a half hours later. Um, and after you break out the leftovers, we open the newspaper, which people don't really do anymore, but we open the newspaper and we get the ads out and we start shopping, right? We're like, where am I going to go on Black Friday, right? And you remember that? Like, I don't even know that they have deals on Black Friday anymore. Nobody's like really trying to entice you to be there at four in the morning anymore. But like, they want you to like, so we would plot out where we're going to go. Okay, this, is, this place has a 90-inch TV for $85. We're going to go there. Limit of one, Right? You guys know that? And so Black Friday comes, and, and even after you get through Black Friday, what happens? Like, the stores are packed, right, until Christmas. They're just packed. And for all of you who put your hand up saying, I haven't started yet, it gets more packed. Like, the closer you get to Christmas, like, when you get to Christmas Eve, you're there with all the men who are still trying to buy stuff for their wives, right? So the longer you wait, the, <laughs> the harder it gets. But this is like the season, like, and as, when I was in retail, it was something like there's a buzz about, about Christmas and this season, and there's so many people. And my dad still loves to get out into the craziness and the excitement, loves to go shopping. Christmas music is playing, right? And there's all this stuff. But when I met Jesus, it started to feel more stark to me. Like, I, I started to follow Jesus, and it became like, this doesn't make that much sense to me anymore. And over the years, increasingly, it makes less and less sense that we spend so much money on Christmas, that we're so marketed to, that we're so, you know, uh, advertised to. And, and, and the lie that we tell ourselves, or maybe the, the half-truth that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better, is like, well, Jesus is a gift to us, so we give gifts. And that's the idea, Right? And so we've, we sort of connected to Jesus a little bit, but the longer I follow Jesus, the weirder it gets to me that commerce and retail is connected to the birth of Jesus. It just gets weird to me. And I don't know if you've had the same experience. You know, there's this sort of cultural momentum around retail and greed and commerce and, and the money and possessions. Have you noticed that? Increasingly, there's people who sit in boardrooms, 
right? Usually back in July, they plan, maybe even earlier. And they plan for how they're going to make you feel like you don't have everything you ever needed. They plan for how they're going to make you feel discontent so that they can say, and our product will fulfill all of your desires. Right? Do you know that? If you didn't know that, that's news to you. There are people who are like against you. They're trying to make you feel like you don't have everything you need so that they can fulfill all of your needs and your desires. And here's the deal. It's cheaper on Black Friday and Cyber Monday so we can spend more money. And, you know, lest nonprofits get left behind, we have Giving Tuesday. You know, that was last Tuesday, by the way, just in case you were curious. And we're a nonprofit. <laughs> I feel cheeky today. But all of this stuff works. Did you know that? It all works. I saw this, uh, this statistic on a website that I have a hard time saying. Statistia. Statista. You guys know this? Statista.com. Here's what it said. The projection for 2022 holiday spending is up. It's up. Isn't that exciting? It's up. We're going to spend more money. It says that we're, the, the projection in 2022 is that we're going to spend... $942.6 billion in November and December on holiday spending. Billion, with a B. And in case you're like, I don't really have a, a grid, that's up nearly half a trillion dollars in the last 20 years. This year's projected spending is higher than the gross domestic product of Switzerland and Saudi Arabia. We're going to spend more on Christmas than those nations have. Is that stunning to you? Like, I saw that and I was like, holy cow. I mean, and that's like, and there's like another bunch of nations underneath that. That's like, you know, we're, we start adding up nations. It's like, in case that's not close enough for you, think about this. The same website says the average American is going to spend $930 this year on Christmas gifts. Some of you are like, ooh, I overspent. dollars $930. Do you have an extra $930 in your budget just to plop down in November and December? I mean, think about how crazy this is that we're celebrating the coming of Jesus. And we go into debt to do it. Think about how counterintuitive counter that is. And when we turn to scriptures, the hard part is, is we as who follow Jesus, we turn to the Bible for how do we live life and how ought we to think about money and possessions? And you find that Jesus is like speaking an altogether different language. Have you ever come across that? Jesus is like saying altogether different things. His view of money and possessions is altogether different. And it creates, like I said last week, a tension, right? There's a tension here. We live as people who are looking for the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus. That's the Advent window where we find ourselves remembering that Jesus has come and yet looking with eager anticipation to the return of Jesus. That's Advent. And we're a people who right now live with anticipation that Jesus will come and that there is a king who's on the throne. And yet we live in this culture that's trying to squeeze into us a different value. And the thing I want to talk about today is how do we resist that? 
How do we get through the Christmas season without giving up our souls? How do we live in a culture that wants us to adopt greed as a way of being and live in light of the way Jesus says we ought to live? That's what I want to talk about today. We began this series last week for Advent called Silent Night, Longing for the King. And what I told you is that Advent is this this in-between time. And so last week we talked about how there's a tension that comes with being people of hope, right? People who are looking forward to, to a day when all things will be made new while we sit in a space where all things are definitely not yet made new. And I want to apply that tension to this idea of money and possessions. How do we live in light of the fact that the king who has all things is coming and so we don't have to grab hold of things And yet we live in a space where we're squeezed at every turn. How do we live in that space? Is it possible to live in that space? And I'm calling this message, How Can I Resist Being Greedy? So let's pray, and then we'll look at Luke chapter 12. So, Lord, I do just welcome you into this space. And, Lord, I know that you uh, are active in this room, that heaven has drawn so close. And so, God, I pray that you would break in here. As I speak, Lord, I pray that you would stir things in our hearts. And God, that my words would be your words. And Lord, if there's anything that's not of you, I pray that it would fall to the ground. God, would you give us faith to live here and now the way that you call us to? Would you put power on this message in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. We're going to look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, you can turn there in your Bible, and I'm going to catch you up to this story. So I don't know if you've ever noticed in the book of Luke that Jesus is like sort of portrayed as a party animal. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Everybody's like, oh, that's heresy. I don't think you can say that. All through the book of Luke, if you pay attention, Jesus is either going to a party, he's at a party, or he's leaving a party. Like Jesus through the book of Luke is portrayed as always being at the party or around the party. And so this this verse that we're going to look at in chapter 12 actually begins back in chapter 11 when a Pharisee invites Jesus to his dinner party. And it's Jesus, the experts in the law, and the Pharisees. And Jesus doesn't make a very good party guest. So Jesus shows up to the party, and he doesn't ceremonially wash his hands like he's supposed to. He just sits down at the table. And the Pharisee's like, hey, you didn't wash. And Jesus is like, oh, you want to call me out? And if you read down through the end of chapter 11, Jesus is like, you guys are hypocrites. (laughs) I mean, imagine if somebody came to your dinner party. I mean, we have people over for dinner tonight, and if you come to my house and call me a hypocrite, it's going to be really, really hard. You know, but Jesus shows up to the dinner party and he's like, you guys are hypocrites. You only care what everybody around you thinks and you don't take regard of God. You are people who don't live with integrity when it comes to God. You're always concerned with how people view you and you always want to be viewed as the most important and the most powerful. You're hypocrites. And one of the experts of the law goes, hey, that that hits kind of close. And Jesus is like, and you guys, this is the dinner party. I don't even know if they ever even ate. Like, it doesn't even seem like they got to the food. So Jesus is pointing fingers, and he's just letting them all have it all the way around. And by the end of chapter uh, 11, at this dinner party, 
the Pharisees and the experts of the law are pointing back and they're accusing and this, this whole scuffle goes out into the street. So you can imagine this house, they were supposed to be having a dinner party and there's this argument happening in the street and people around are like, oh, fight, fight, fight. So the, this crowd at the beginning of chapter 12 just sort of gathers around. And so you have Jesus surrounded on this side by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and surrounded on this side by the crowd that just wants to see who's going to beat up who. And Jesus does something weird. As he's being squeezed on all sides, he says, let me teach my disciples now. This is a weird time to teach your disciples. And he turns and he does this thing. It feels passive aggressive to me. He turns to his disciples and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you know, like, I'm making this up, okay, 8 to 10 feet. I don't know. I don't know if it was 8 to 10 feet. feels like it's close if you read the passage. They're within earshot. And he goes, don't be like those guys. Don't be hypocrites like them. You need to watch out for their teaching because they're hypocrites. They don't care about what God has to say about life. They don't live with integrity with respect to God. They care about what everybody else thinks, but they don't care what God thinks. Don't be like them. That's what he says at the beginning of chapter 12. So the crowd and everybody's listening to this thing, and that sets us up to we get to verse 13. Here's what it says, beginning of verse 13 of chapter 12. Someone in the crowd who hears all this stuff about integrity said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You know, after he sort of ducks, ducks out, you know, this guy's like, hey, why don't you give a judgment between us? And Jesus is like, hold on a second. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get in the middle of your stuff. But he turns and uses this opportunity to talk about greed. And he issues a warning, like a really clear warning. Look at verse 15. He says, uh, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You know, the Bible never really looks very favorably at greed. I don't know if you've noticed that. But over and over and over through the Bible, greed gets mentioned in the list of all the other things that we like to point our finger at, like sexual immorality. Like we like to point our finger at that one. But we never point our finger at the greed that's in the same line. And these are markers of people who are outside the kingdom of God. These are people who don't inherit the kingdom. Greed is never looked at as favorably. It's actually something that keeps you far from Jesus. And what Jesus wants to make sure that everybody knows here as he starts into this teaching is greed is sneaky. Greed is so sneaky. One of the reasons that greed is sneaky is that we tend to think it's somebody else's problem. Always. 
What, you guys uh, maybe have heard the name Tim Keller, a pastor in New York. He said, I've never had one person ever come to me and confess the sin of greed. We think greed is always somebody else's problem, right? And we think that, you know, I have to actually be really rich to be greedy, right? That's what we think. And so it doesn't matter how much money you think you have, even if you, by everyone else's standards, are very rich, you go, well, I'm not rich enough to actually be greedy. But the, the problem is, that's actually not true. The Greek word is pleonexia, which is not like a, at the level of our actions. It actually gets deeper than that. Pleonexia gets to the desires. When we talk about greed, we may use the word, some translations use the word covetousness. It's a longing. It's a, it's a, a heart level. It's a desire level issue, which means that you can be really rich and be greedy, and you can be really poor and be greedy. And here's the scary part of that. Because that's true, uh, true, there's not one of us that's outside of the temptation of greed. Every last one of us can be influenced by greed, and you don't have to have a lot of money or any money. It's a desire to have more. The rich can have an insatiable desire for more, and so can the poor. And so I wonder, as we think about that, how that sits with us, that every last one of us could actually be greedy. In 2 Corinthians, Paul sets greed as opposed to generosity. Generosity is having a desire to give more. Greed is having a desire to get or have more. And he sets the two in opposition with one another. Because greed exists at the level of our desires, we could all be greedy. One of the most helpful questions that I think is worth considering in your life when it comes to this stuff is this question, how would I know if I was greedy? How would I know if I was greedy? Because here's what I think happens to most of us if we ask that question. I think most of us go, well, I can't be greedy. I don't have that much. And... I can remember the last time that I wasn't greedy, that I did something that wasn't greedy. I gave some money to this person or I helped that person out. So I remember the last time I wasn't greedy. And so I'm probably not greedy because I don't feel greedy. But Jesus doesn't just say, hey, how do you feel? He says, watch out. Be on your guard. Like if you think about all the things that you vigilantly watch out for, Like in this building, I'm vigilantly watching out for the lights being turned off and the heat being turned down. Everybody that works here knows that. They're probably sick of hearing it. All the time. Think about the things that you vigilantly watch out for. Is greed one of those things? Because I would bet that we haven't taken Jesus really that seriously when it comes to being on our guard. You know, another reason that greed is so sneaky is because it doesn't happen all at once. You know, I mean, it's the same as every other sort of sin pattern, right? Greed doesn't happen all at once. You don't just like, hey, I was really, really generous on Tuesday. I went to bed and I woke up greedy. It just doesn't happen that way. The way greed happens is it's one little decision followed by another little decision followed by another little decision followed by another little decision and weeks and months 
and years go by, and it's the kind of thing that when you hit the bottom of it, you go, how did I even get here? How did I get to this place where I'm so greedy? If you realize it. It's not the thing that happens in a moment. If you think about Paul's continuum in 2 Corinthians, if you think about like on, on this side is the kingdom ethic that we are completely generous people, okay? This is the picture of the kingdom person who is completely generous. And on this side, you have the greedy person who is completely greedy, is completely worried about getting more and having more and completely concerned with themselves. On this continuum, we'll find ourselves someplace. Is that fair? We'll find ourselves somewhere between greed and generosity, somewhere. And every step that you take is a vote. It's casting a vote towards being another generous person, a more generous person. It's a vote towards being a more greedy person. Every decision, every choice that you make, it's a vote. It's casting a vote. Am I going to be generous or am I going to be greedy? And the hard part about greed is that you make a lot of little decisions over a period of time, and you don't keep track. And you can take a lot of steps this way before you have any awareness that that's what's happening. How would you know if you were greedy? You know, one of the things that I think, because that spectrum works the way that it does, one of the things as followers of Jesus, if we intend to become more kingdom people, more generous people, I would hope that's our intent, right? We want to be kingdom people. Anybody here don't want to be kingdom people? Okay, good. I don't know if you put your hand up if, if, you know, if I ask that question. <laughs> we want to be more kingdom people. We want to be more shaped, more inclined towards the ways of Jesus. What's so critical, because greed works the way it does, is that you have some sort of discipline of regular steps towards generosity. Regular steps. It's a discipline level issue. You have to set a practice in place. I don't know if you've ever thought about why it is that we pass the offering basket every week. Some of you are like, yeah, I have. You have the bills to pay. No. I mean, we do have bills to pay. But we've actually created a rhythm whereby you can be shaped into a generous person, into the likeness of Christ. That's, I mean, because we could, we could just once a year do offering, right? Couldn't we? We could just once a year say, hey, you know, like if you're going to give to the church, give to the church. We, you know, we really appreciate it. We work really hard to serve uh, you guys in the, in the city and, the, and serve on behalf of Jesus. We really try. So would you just once a year write us a check, please? We could do that. But here's the thing. I believe that by regular, every week, putting it in front of us, we're giving you an opportunity to be formed into a certain kind of person. Do you realize that? I mean, it's the same reason we do communion every week. We want to be formed into the people who know the story that we're a part of. There are churches that do it monthly, annually. We do it every week because every week I want you to have in front of you that this is the story we belong to. We're not a people, but that Jesus died for us. We worship every week because what my intent for us is that we would be shaped into the kind of people who enter into worship regularly. So we're creating a rhythm. We're creating a habit. We're creating a pattern. We do offering every week because I want you to be shaped into the kind of people 
who routinely take steps against greed and towards generosity. The benefit of giving here is that it goes towards furthering the mission of God through the church. I mean, you could do this stuff anywhere, right? You could just drive up and down the streets, find somebody who's in need, and hand them a 20. Every, you know what I mean? Like, you could create a habit like that, but who knows where that goes? The benefit of doing it here is that it actually goes towards furthering the mission of God in the church. There's a benefit there. But what I would say that you don't, I don't want you to miss is that it's creating the habit of resisting greed. So there's many ways we can work against it. But again, I want to come back to this question. How do I know if I'm greedy? How do I know? One way you can know you're greedy is when you start taking credit for the gifts God has given you. You start taking ownership. Look at verse uh, 16. This is Jesus. And he told, him, told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This guy planted a normal crop. He didn't plant for an abundant harvest. The reason that you can know that he didn't plant for an abundant harvest is he didn't build any barns to store the abundant harvest that he got. There was no plan. He planted a normal crop, and God gave him way more than he could have ever asked or imagined. Sounds like God, right? That's a biblical thing. God, like, it's just sort of like throwing your net in the water and getting way more fish than you ever thought you could get, right? So he gives him this abundant harvest that is clearly God. It's so clearly God. He's the, the recipient of God's generosity, and yet he doesn't acknowledge it. What does he do? He takes credit for every last thing that he has. My crops. My barns. My abundance. One of the ways that you can know that you're becoming greedy is that you take ownership for things that God gives you out of his generosity. You know what the Bible teaches over and over and over is that everything we have belongs to God. Everything you have belongs to God. It's not yours. You didn't, I mean, do anything to get it other than be a recipient of God's generosity. In every case. And this is not just money. It's not just possessions. It's relationships. It's talents and abilities. And maybe you put your talents and abilities into to work to, to receive more money. But everything you have, the biblical perspective is everything you have is a gift. It all comes from God. There's nothing that we have that isn't gift and provision from a good and generous God who loves us. And we get entrusted with these things. So we're not owners. We're stewards. God has said, here, I'm giving you this, and I intend for you to use it the way that I have made plan for. The problem that this guy has is that he takes no stock of what God intends to do with any of these things. Our posture is never as owners, it's always as stewards. When you find yourself laying claim. You say, I did this, my that, I own all these things. And you never pay attention to the fact that you have been a recipient of God's generosity and his goodness and his grace. 
you've shifted your posture from being a steward to being an owner. And we're never to be owners. And here's where that gets us all in trouble. You're like, I don't understand the problem. Yeah, I've received it. I'm owning it. I'm doing the thing, right? Here's where that gets us in trouble. God has given all of it to us on loan. And sometimes he says, I want that back. And when he does that, if you're an owner, you start exerting your rights, don't you? Like, wait a minute, I worked really hard for that. God's like, I need that back. I want to reassign you to a different kingdom uh, post. I want that back. I need that. And if we've become owners, we start fighting for how we've earned it and we deserve it. But that's not who God has called us to be. I think one of the greatest hindrances to all of us living into the calling God has on our lives is greed. Because here's what happens. God gives you something for a season. And you can enjoy it. And you can use it. And you can put it to work. But what happens to us is we start to fall in love with it, don't we? We start to, like, count on it. We start to, like, own it. We start to manipulate it and do... uh, We we fall in love with the gift. We've cherished it. We lay, lay claim to it. And we maybe even thought, hey, this is God's reward to me. So now I can have it. And so when God says, I need that back, it keeps us from being responsive to what God calls us to. We're so attached to the gifts that God has given that we become unresponsive to the giver. Let me sort of like parse this out a little bit. As, as I was thinking about this, one of the things is, that I've realized is as, it, as we took all the steps that we took on our way to planting this church, I recognized how much attachment I had built in my heart to the things that I had. Some of you have heard me talk about the house we had in Ohio. I loved that house unhealthy. I loved that house. And God said, I need you to go here now. I need you to give me the house because I'm calling you here. I was like, you mean I got to sell this? This is a beautiful house. I love this house. God said, I want it back. And I became aware of a certain amount of greed in my heart. You know, sometimes we get these jobs and maybe it's the job that we feel like has, has, has been the reward for all the toil and all the faithfulness of, of our whole career. And so we land in this job that we just love. And we, we just cherish it. We're so grateful for it. And, you know, we've, we've lived into it. This is the thing we've always wanted. And then God says, I need that. I want you to go somewhere else. Even if you're a completely generous steward, that's a hard ask. You know that? Even if you've done things well and you have avoided greed in situations when God says, give me that job that you love, it's a really hard ask. But when greed comes into play, when we've laid claim to the thing that God has given us, responding to God's invitation is not only hard, it's maybe even impossible. I mean, think about, there are some of you here, you know that God has called you to something. You have sensed God's stirring. You know, it's like, hey, God is calling me. I know for a long time that God is calling me to go overseas to work with these people. 
hey, I know God is calling me to work with this group of people in Altoona. It's like a, a very underserved group of people. Maybe it's like mental health. God has called me to work in mental health. And I have a hard time with that. The reason that you have a hard time taking that step almost always is because you've laid claim to something that God has given to you for a season that's not yours. Do you know that? Almost always. Why can't I answer the call? Why can't I move halfway across the world? Well, because it means I'm going to have to give up this job, and I love the job. It means I'm going to have to sell the house, and I really love the house. I've really grown in relationship with my neighbors, and so if I were to take God at his word, it means I'm going to have to forego the things that I've grown to love. I think greed is at the root of so much of the trouble that we have in being responsive to God. And I would bet if you look at your life, that may be true for you. Or could you at least consider that as a possibility? So how do we protect ourselves from greed? Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. That's a nice thing to be called by God. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. I want to make one thing really, really clear. Jesus is not against saving for a rainy day. There's a lot in the Bible about saving and being prudent with what you do financially, like saving money for retirement or whatever the thing is, right? God is not opposed to financial wisdom. What God is opposed to in this passage, God is opposed to not taking into consideration what he thinks you should do with it. It's always the problem God has here. In the Old Testament, the fool is always the one who rebels against God or whose practices deny God even though their voice affirms God. The fool is always the one who by their, by their actions denies God. And in this verse, the rich man is called a fool. The reason is because he received an abundant harvest from God and yet he didn't say, God, what do you intend for me to do with this? He just said, all right, I'm going to save it for myself. The sin of the rich man is that he lived without regard to God's desires. And this brings us full circle all the way back to our Advent series. That we are a people who live in the midst of a culture that wants us to conform, wants us to pursue money and possessions and be greedy people. And yet we live as one who's looking for the return of Jesus. Our heads are propped high. Our eyes are peeled to the horizon. We know Jesus is coming and all things will be made new. And yet we live in this tension of right now, it doesn't feel that way. And that's the challenge that we as people who follow Jesus live into taking account to what God is doing and what God intends with everything that we get. So when we think about money, when we think about possessions, when we think about our gifts and our relationships and our abilities, we as followers of Jesus are always saying, Jesus, what do you want to do with this? Jesus, what do you intend? If you want to avoid being greedy, you live in expectation of the return of Jesus. How do you avoid being greedy? You live in expectation of the return of Jesus.
Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.